I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. This is Jeff Dawson from a very sunny and warm 70 degrees in Dallas, Texas. If you have any thoughts or questions and would like to call in, the numbers are 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. We've got a lot of different topics we're going to run through today, and I hope we have the time to cover them all. Uh, you can also get all of my books on Amazon, Jeff Dawson, Amazon.com. I also have a Patreon account, Jeff Dawson. So if you'd like to contribute and help with my work, that would be greatly appreciated. And I want to wish everyone a belated Merry Christmas. I had a wonderful one. Went to my daughter's house with three of my three granddaughters and one grandson. And we did our yearly tradition of baking cookies and doing pies. And we started that, I don't know, probably at least 10 years ago. My daughter had a big Thanksgiving get together and she bought store-bought pies. And I'm here to tell you, those just didn't cut the mustard. So from that point on, we make all of our pies and cookies from scratch. And it has been really fun watching my granddaughters grow up and become more involved and really enjoy doing it and actually wanting an old man to come over and spend time with them, even though he yells at them and just wears them out. And they will tell you that I show no favorites when it comes to that. I always hear, well, you spoil grandchildren. Oh, the hell I do not. I told them a long time ago, I will treat you the same way I treated my three. There are no favorites. There are no number ones, which always seems to be a battle of who thinks they're number one. Well, you know, children can think anything they want to, but when it comes down to it, Grandpa Bill has the final say. I want to do a, introduce you to an author. If you've never heard of him, his name is Tim Greeton. I met him about eight years ago. And he has two really good books. I've read at least three of them, but the two that stood out for me were Santa Shop, which is very appropriate for the season we're currently in. And this was my review of Santa Shop, not just for Christmas. What happens to an up-and-coming attorney when he chooses to attend the firm's Christmas party without his wife and son who perish in an apartment fire? What strange road leads them to standing on the ice-laden metal bridge in Gray, Vermont on Christmas Eve, staring down at a torrent of black, cascading, rushing water, hoping to redeem his self-worth, to atone for the untimely death of his wife and son. You'll have to read this fine work to obtain the answers. I could relate to this telling story on too many experiences. 
This story is for any of us who have ever contemplated taking their own lives, thinking there is nothing left for us to live for. And I could really relate to this because I've written one called Why Did Everything Happen? Of which the characters in this book, I was there in 1994 when I was... My company was cratering. I was losing my children, basically just lost everything and had gone through a divorce like two years before that. So when I read Tim Santa's shop, there is always something to live for. It was an excellent work and he is a really good author. His other book that I highly recommend is Under Heaven. This is the third book of his that I've read. The book reminds me of a fine Cuban cigar, perhaps a glass of Dom Perignon or a well-aged brandy. Each are to be savored and enjoyed, not rapidly consumed, waiting for a refill. Relax and enjoy the moment. The story starts out a little slow with two diverging storylines. I went back several times to make sure I was reading the same story. I thought maybe a chapter or two were inadvertently snuck in, but, but I had to have patience. The two stories are paralleling an unseen timeline, and that's what was really cool about this book. The lives of two boys, Nathaniel, who was murdered and caught in under heaven, a sort of way station between heaven and hell, and Jesse, who is very much alive, hoping his parents reunite, are going to collide in a most unusual way. I was 24 chapters into the read and still had no idea where the story was going. For some, that can be frustrating. Refer back to how I described the read. It's not a six-pack of Miller Lite or a pack of Marlboro Light 100s that the users frequently can't get enough of. This is a story for savoring and reflecting. Believe me, there is no, there is so much extra activity surrounding these two boys. One will need to regroup and reflect before moving forward. Enjoy the moment, then move forward with caution. In the end, you will be shaking your head in stunned silence and asking the question, no way. I know I was. So if you haven't heard of Tim Greeton, you have now. And he is really good. He and I have actually talked on the phone. He considers himself the other writer from Maine, referencing Stephen King. But he is a great guy. He got off of Facebook years ago. They I guess his account got hacked or he was getting some flack that he didn't like, but I did interviews with him back before we had zoom and all this. And you were sent questions and had to fill them out and send them back. And those were fun because you really had to figure out how are we going to engage readers in these interviews without actually talking to them. Now that has changed. But as I said, I wanted to introduce you to Tim He's a really good guy, and you can find all his books on Amazon's and Goodreads, and he is an excellent writer. Okay. Let's talk let let's talk about It's the, Grandpa Bill. What it, number did you say to call in on? It is, and those are my grandchildren that you are hearing. And that would be Leah, Danny, and Colleen might be out there, but it's hard to say. Okay, so let's talk about the NCAA playoffs. There have been a lot of memes about them, and 
you know, who really cares this year? We've got Clemson at 10 and one, Notre Dame at 10 and one, Alabama 11 and 0 and Ohio state at six and zero. Ohio state is at six and zero, and there were five and zero in conference. Who cares? Seriously. I understand. I have Alabama fans that are friends in Clemson and Notre Dame, but this is like the baseball season to me. We had a 60 game season and the Dodgers won the world series. Well, when it's all said and done, who really cares? I just can't get excited about it. And then think about this. There were 45 bowl games last year, right? 45. They scheduled 33 this year. So we're 12 less. And of that, of nine teams that were picked to go to bowl games, they had losing records. South Carolina was going to be invited to a bowl, and they're two and eight. Would you like to explain to me how a two and eight team gets a bowl bid? I don't give a damn about COVID. I understand it's just pretty much destroyed everything in its place, but two and eight, are you kidding me? This is just ridiculous. And I I guess this is the year of participation trophies for all. Okay. The next thing I'm going to get into is Georgia, but I'm going to try something here because I think my granddaughters are actually here. If I can hit the right button. I don't know if I can get the damn thing to work or not. Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. I can't get that to work. Oh, hello. Oh, there they are. Okay, this is my daughter, Savannah. Hello. And who do you have with you? Colleen, Leah, Danny, and CJ. Okay, nobody cares about CJ because he can't talk. What is he, 18 months old? No, he's 21 months old. Well, you know, what's three months? Nobody cares. He's small, he's irritating, he's noisy, and he doesn't say anything intelligent. Well, so do the girls. Well, that's beside the point, but at least they can walk and talk without falling down on everything. Well, well, that's stretching it. Well, I've seen it. I've experienced it. And uh, I've seen CJ walk into the dog and fall over when the tail hits him. It happens. It seems to happen a lot. (laughs) And how are you all today? Good. Good. Are you doing anything exciting? We're fixing to go into the mall. This mall is packed and for no reason. It's it's return day, you twits. That's the reason. I'm going because I have to go get my jewelry rechecked because I have a diamond missing out of an earring. So, oh, that's not good. Exactly. And they just checked it. So, okay. Well, Yes, you don't want your settings to fall apart. Yes, no. No. So how may we help you? I don't know. You called me. Well, I was trying to get in on this, your uh, show, and I was having some issues, and then it 
had me calling you, and I was like, oh, crap, I didn't mean to call him. Well, I was going to call you, but we already had called you. So. But you had what? I, I was like, I didn't know we were, like she had called you, and I was going to call you and see if you picked up, but she had already beaten me to it, so. Okay. So, yes, well, we thought we would grace you with our presence. Well, I don't know about it being graceful, but okay. <laughs> Very graceful. Yeah, I've seen you walk too, and that's not much to talk about either. <laughs> See, it folks, happens. it's like I said earlier, I treat them all the same. There are no favorites in my family. I'm his number one daughter, though. Well, number no, five. you're number five out of one. No, I'm number one. It's you were okay, number. F- you were only number one on your birthday. Every other day, it's four or five because then you talk and you irritate me and I have to hang up. Father, father, father. Yes. Quit denying your feelings. I'm denying nothing. I'm stating the truth. Okay. <laughs> what else do you all have? That's it. We're fixing this. Going here and. Oh, yeah. I, I have a question. Yes, what um, is your question? How did you feel about that salty pumpkin pie we made that one year? You never exactly told us how you felt. About the what? When, that one year when we made the really salty pumpkin pie. How did you Paula feel Dean. about it? Paula Dean? That was horrible. <laughs> Even the dog wouldn't eat it. It was absolutely <laughs> horrible. Good Lord, should have just opened up a tub of morton and stuck your tongue in it that was the worst thing we ever made yeah i remember that it was like so, good. yes you had kids spitting out so was this one of those like radio talk shows where like you text a certain number and you like win a car or concert tickets because I, I would love it. like you get a car you get a car like that like an oprah kind of thing he's not oprah do i look like oprah are you serious <laughs> <laughs> are you blind i mean i was i mean we called it says like call a certain number and it's like you can get like free tickets or i'm i love a mercedes you know i mean anything. i don't know what you're smoking but it's the wrong brand i'll tell you that right now <laughs> right you have lost your mind the only present you get is seeing me <laughs> it's just present ever. Yeah, just wait till you come back to our house. You can see our beautiful faces again. Yeah, I'm so excited right now. I can hear it. <laughs> As usual, it's just y'all just excite me so much. I don't know what to do with it. You can't hold your excitement in. Yeah, I really can. I've got to work on that, don't I? All right. All right. Are, are you four tired? Of, are you done bothering me? For now. Good. We might call back when we're on our way home. Well, I won't be here and I won't answer. Oh, rude. All right. Well, you all enjoy the store. The Oh, we shall not. And I shall get back on with my next topic. (laughs) All right, Dad. All right. Love you all. Talk to you later. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Yes, that was my daughter. Wasn't that exciting? Absolutely. But it was good to hear from him because, yes, I'm going back on the 28th, 29th, because her husband is works in the oil field, and that's when he's coming back, and then they will have their full-blown Christmas. And that will be fun. He's a real good guy with one problem. He is a University of Texas fan. 
course, my daughter's a University of OU fan. And I keep trying to figure out what did I do wrong? Don't they understand that Oklahoma State is the correct school? I got to keep working on that. Okay, the next topic is the Georgia Senate race. And I've done my best to stay off of Facebook and not get caught up in all the hype. But I wanted to look at some numbers. In the senatorial race that has turned into the runoff, in one race, there was 4.935 million votes cast. In the second one, there was 4.33 million votes cast. Now, on the presidential election, there was 4.997 million votes cast. And I really didn't understand the one. The one with 4.33 is uh, the one Loeffler is involved in. Now, and the one with Purdue, a 4.9. Now, this was all the candidates that ran for the Senate. And I believe Collins was in there in the Purdue. Well, he picked up, he had picked up 900,000 votes. And if you split that and add it to the total that Purdue received, he should win that seat hands down. Loeffler is in for a battle. I mean, she was appointed to take over that Senate seat. And her husband being connected with Wall Street to me is kind of a negative. I don't see that really helping them. But they've also registered 70,000 more voters. And that's going to be real critical come the counts on January 6th. Because if they get as many mail-in voting ballots as they did this last time, God, I hope we don't have another screw up and more videotape of ballot boxes coming from under tables to the Republican Party who are going to be there. You need to be prepared. And I'll say this for the Democrats, too. It goes across the board. If they decide that we aren't counting votes anymore, fine. You leave somebody there both parties, you assign a representative that until that room is closed and everyone is out, nobody, we're not leaving and the doors are locked and then everybody walks out together and we don't get any more of the chicanery that we saw during the presidential election. Now that's just a word to the wise. Pull your heads out, have a game plan, because let's be honest, Republicans are horrible when it comes to a solid game plan. And we've seen this in the recounts and the lawsuits and everything else. It's like, you know, you have to tip your hats when it comes to the Democrats. They have much better strategic planning when it comes to this stuff. And it's like the Republicans are always 
like a mile behind trying to figure out what are you supposed to do now? What are you supposed to do now? And I've seen, and this has just not been recent. This has been going on for decades, at least since the 2000, since two, the year 2000. I didn't see it so much. No, I did see it during the Clinton years, but it wasn't as bad. But it just seems to get worse that Republicans or I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if they even have a brain some days, because if they do, they really aren't properly using it. They can't strategize worth a damn most of the time when it comes to legal issues and what they need to go after. I don't understand it. <clears throat> Excuse me, but those numbers are really important, especially when you figure that there are 7.2 million registered voters in Georgia. So they had a like 65, 68% turnout for the presidential and the Senate races. Now, if these numbers drastically increase, people are going to have to ask questions. Why? I mean, you would think with that big turnout that, okay, those are the people that are really involved. You got almost 5 million votes in the presidential election. We really need to watch. But if this thing jumps up to like 5.5 and 5.8 million and only 70,000 more were registered, man, if that doesn't raise eyebrows, I don't know what will, especially on these mail-in ballots. I was not opposed to them when they were talking about it during the summer and saying the post office can't do this and the post office can't do that. I had no problem with the post office. My problem was how are these states going to implement the mail-in balloting when you had five states Washington, Oregon, Utah, Colorado, and California and uh, Hawaii who'd been doing it for over 10 years and it took them almost 10 years to perfect it. And then you ask 45 other states to do this in five months. Now that was just a sham. That was a sham. That's all it was. I mean, we heard what the courts in Pennsylvania did and they changed this and they changed that. They, they just screwed the whole thing up. And this is what the other five states had figured out in about 10 years yet we are supposed to 45 are supposed to figure it out in like five or five months. Well, that was my big problem with the mail-in voting. And I look at it like, okay, when you file your taxes, they have to be postmarked April 15th. If it's postmarked April 16th, you get a late fee, right? Yep. Everybody knows that. So what was so hard about mail-in balloting? Got to be postmarked on the third to be counted. It's got to be signed, just like your tax return. And it's got to be filled out properly. Those are the three things we have to do when we file our taxes. And those are the three things that must be done when we have mail-in balloting. It's not that hard, but they sure turned it into an absolute shit fest. That's all there was to it. I was afraid it would happen, and it did. Will we ever know the actual results? I mean, really, 80 million people voted for Joe Biden. On the outside, and 72 million voted for Trump. So we got 152 million 
out of 330 that voted, which for the electorate process, that's pretty damn good. We've never seen numbers like that, ever. But, I mean, if Joe Biden gets inaugurated, he gets inaugurated. We dealt with eight years of Obama. We can deal with whatever Biden tries to come up with. We'll see how that works out. But the whole point is if you're in Georgia, you Republicans better have a plan on how the counting is going to go, how your people are going to supervise it. And like I said, both parties earlier, you got to watch it. We're not going to have any of this crap. Somebody coming down and saying, okay, we're going to stop voting. Fine. Everybody get up. Everybody get your coat, get your purse, get your hat, whatever it is. Everybody's up. You come to the door. We make sure the room is empty. We lock the doors. We all verify the doors are locked and we all leave the building and no one gets in there. It's not that hard to do. So if you're a Georgian, Get out there, cast your vote. Let's see what happens. It's all we can do as citizens. But don't sit on your duff and say it doesn't matter or that we think our votes don't count or that the election was stolen. If you sit home, it won't be stolen. Hell, you'll just lose. That's about it, isn't it? Either join the process and make sure your candidate wins or sit home and bitch, moan, whine, and complain. And then try and figure out what the conspiracy theory is today. Those are your options. You figure it out. Okay, pardons. Boy, has that not filled up the news lately. The pardons and clemency that Trump is giving to people. And of course, if you're watching constipated CNN anchors, and I even think Fox did some of it or MSNBC, it's a flood. It's, it's, it's unprecedented. It's just ridiculous. All of these pardons Trump is giving out. Well, let's look at the numbers just for a minute, shall we? Um, FDR, 3,796. Woodrow Wilson, 2,827. Harry Truman, who I really liked, 2,044. Obama, 1,927. And Trump, 49. Where's the flood? Now, here's what the left is going to say. We'll look at who he's pardoning. And these people committed crimes. And I did read the Blackwater write up on those guys that he pardoned. And how many times it went through the courts. And how many times judges would throw it out and then they'd start over. Now, yes, I think it was slaw that was accused that was convicted of murder in the first trial. And then the second trial, but how could they keep going back and forth and throwing them out and then bringing them back 
and back and back. I don't. So he's pardoned 49 people. Now, you heard the numbers from the other guys. Now, people will say, especially on the left, well, he's pardoning all these people that were close to him, like Flynn and Manafort, who was only his campaign manager for two months. Did anybody ever read that? No. All of these people were being investigated by the corrupt FBI before Trump ever became president because it was all part of the Russian collusion. So I understand why he is giving out these pardons to these people. And it's like, well, they all supported him. Yeah, and everybody who was even around him, the left wanted to persecute, not prosecute, but persecute, then prosecute. How does that work? And like I said earlier, on Republicans not having a good strategy. We knew in 2015 that if Trump was not, yeah, 15, if Trump was elected, oh my God, (coughs) the lawsuits and the potential investigations would go off the rails. And they did across the board. Anybody that was even remotely related to Donald Trump was going to be investigated by, for a better term, Obama and Hillary's FBI. And you read the Mueller report, and then you read the IG's report that came out in 2019. It just exposed the FBI hierarchy and the corruption that was going on. Now, I don't know how we got to this point, but I don't give a damn if who's in office, what party's in office. If we can't trust our justice system and we can't trust the top cops in the United States, then what are we supposed to do? Try. Caller on line two. Okay. Can you connect us, Tyrone? Uh, Am I there? You are here, sir. Welcome aboard. Pleasure all mine. I'm a little under the weather. Well, that's not a good thing. No, it isn't. I'm I'm battling with COVID. Well... Uh, I wish you the best and that you have a full and healthy recovery, sir. Well, you can you can be assured I'm a fighter tooth and nail. Well, that's what we need. And where are you calling from, if I, you don't mind me asking? Not a problem. I'm going to step you back to Georgia. Okay. And what I got to say about Georgia is, no matter how you look at it, going to be all kind of conspiratorial theories that's going to come up. I mean, I don't doubt that not, for a minute. This by far is going to be the largest participation of any uh, election in the state of Georgia. It's a, 
it's a lot riding on this. There's a lot of commercials, both good and bad, negative and positive. Yes. That are being ran. Uh, and so all I can tell you is, you know, as far as locking down the room, somebody will find a way to put somebody in the room. They'll find a way to leave a, a box in the room. I'm just telling you, I've been around politics long enough to know that even with the evidence that this is going to be the highest percentage of people participating, if, and, and let's just say for the sake of conversation, 75% come out to vote. Well, that'd be huge, yes. That's going to be a conspiracy. Like, so there's no way in the world that 75% of people will come out and vote. The world, you know, I used to say D.C. is the most important city in the world. When D.C. sneezes, everyone else catches a cold. Yes. Right now, if Georgia sneezes, everybody else catches a cold. I, I agree with you. They are definitely under the magnifying glass right now. So, I mean, you and I can have this conversation after the election. Okay. I can assure you there's going to be hundreds of conspiracies running. You're going to have all these crazy groups that are going to be out walking around with their guns. Oh, we're not intimidating no one. Well, how are you going to vote? And you got to walk two, three, maybe four blocks from your car to the voting pole, and there's some guys standing on the corner that got their guns. Well, the state police should not, in, in the cities, I don't know if Atlanta would do it, but you can't have that. I don't care who you vote for, but that's just unacceptable. I mean, I live in Texas. And it's like, no, you can't have guys out there saying, you know, well, this is my, because, you know, you see this on YouTube, these First Amendment audit crap. Have you ever seen any of those? Oh, yeah. You know, and this one guy, he goes, well, I wanted to take my AR out for a walk. What, does your damn gun have legs or something? What type of crap is this? And it, it infuriates me when I see these and. I will comment on them. So are you just a dumbass or were you born this way? You're taking your gun out for a walk. I have no problem with gun ownership, but if you have groups that are standing, like you said, four blocks away from a polling precinct, no, no city should allow that. I completely agree. But sadly, here in Georgia, that's what you're going to have. Now you're right. In the city of Atlanta, in the city of Atlanta, you won't have it because it's the city. But Atlanta is just so huge, and you've got yes. all these counties and other cities that are right outside, going southbound, going northbound, going east, going west. And it's a lot of intimidation that's going on. I mean, you got you got planned developments. And in a planned development, you can't support no type of 
of um, uh, candidate for any kind of race. That's that's a part of the, the uh, AOH. But, oh, the oh the uh, HOA. Yeah. They won't, they won't allow that. Yeah. I saw that this morning where a lot of people were talking about that. If you live in an HOA, you cannot put up any type of political sign of any type, no matter what the race is, because those are the bylaws of the association. Yeah. Well, you got places down here on the South side that I've made a personal visit and you see signs up. Now, I'm not going to rat anybody out. I'm just telling you, see the signs up. Right. So it's, and and on the South side, primarily it's Republican on the South. I mean, it's, it is what it is. It, it's only when you start getting closer to the airport where it starts to make a change. And okay. Well, County. I can relate to that. Even living in Dallas County, I mean, I know that West, South, and probably half of East Dallas County is Democratic, and you don't start hitting what you would call Republican territory until you probably get, say, three miles north of downtown Dallas. So I I know what you're saying there. And I I just stop. I mean, you we don't know what these. Republicans here in Georgia are going to do on that day. I'm talking the elected officials that are with, willing to bid the dirt for President Trump. We have no idea what they're going to do on that day. They playing chess. This is not a game of checkers. They playing chess. Yes. Well, they're trying to. And, you know, I'll admit it. Yeah, I'm a conservative. But through the years, when it really gets down, where you've got to get down in the dirt and start fighting, the Republicans are horrible at that. It's like, oh, we don't want to get down there. Well, you know, tell that to the guys in foxholes that have to fight our wars, that you've got to get down in the dirt to actually win. You can sit back in your general headquarters and make all the plans you want to, which this is what, in my opinion, Republicans do. But when you've got to get down there and you got to start pulling the trigger, and I'm being just giving an analogy, I'm not inciting anything, but Mm -hmm. they just have not been, they, they just can't do it for whatever reason. They can't do it. They talk a good game plan, but when it comes to the execution, it's like they remind me of Bernard Montgomery, who was, you know, in charge of the Eighth Army for the British in World War II. He had great plans, but he missed so many opportunities through the war that it actually drug on longer. He wasn't, whereas George Patton, he took action. Montgomery talked about it. George took it. And that's what I see with Republicans. They'll talk about it, but then when it comes down to it, uh, no, we don't want to get down. We don't want to get down in the ditches and get dirty. Well, if you don't want to get dirty, then this is what's going to happen. That's just the way I feel about them. Well, I, I, I think you've got a very good assessment. 
again, for the past four years, what we have seen. Everybody has been in lockstep. Everybody continues to be in lockstep. It has nothing to do whether or not it's right or it's wrong. It's all about now. It's a Republican bill or it's a Democratic bill. Of course, you got one, maybe two Republicans every once in a while that that kind of uh, act a little uh, out of ordinary. But what you find yourself with, you know, down in Alabama, remember the guy down there that was um, they 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 had evidence that he was following young girls. He was running for a a position down there in Alabama. The governor. The governor. Oh, vaguely, vaguely. I'd have to. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that. Don't worry, but the governor said her words were, well, you know, no matter uh, he's guilty or not, I'm not going to cross party lines. Which is wrong. And and let me ask you this question, because you bring up a really good point. <laughs> so what does it take to get the country back to where our government is of the people, by the people, and for the people? Because when Ronald Reagan was president, he had a Democratic Congress. And yet the government functioned. They, there wasn't all this infighting and all this, well, even though it's a good bill, we're not going to sign on to it. So what does it take to get back to where it works again for us and not for the parties? I don't mean to blame it on one person, but if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it must be. Okay. Um, Donald Trump has fractured the mindset of the Republicans. He's fractured. And everybody, again, I use the word, they're lockstep with him. Okay. Lockstep. Now, of course, you had a couple people like you, you had Kemp. Who wouldn't do? Who wouldn't be it? His his uh, evilness, but they lockstep as far as any issue about the Republicans. And so, the answer to your question is we're we're at least, and, and I, I I pray I'm wrong, but we're at least a hundred years off where people are going to have the emotions that they used to have back in the day. I mean, you you would have... I worked in the federal government. I lived in Washington, D.C. Okay. And you would see federal employees working for free on Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, passing out turkeys, making sure people being fed in the street. Those days are gone. Nobody has no sense of uh, 
feelings. Doesn't matter who you are if you're hungry. And one of the most critical times. Now you gotta you got to rewire their mindset because who can argue over the fact that President Trump got seventy million votes? Seventy million. And 72. anybody in yeah. seventy-two and yeah. anybody in politics knows the power of the vote. Now, obviously he's gonna put his network together, but he has a lot of power. No matter how unstable we can try to make him or whatever the case may be, you have some people. I mean we we laugh about it when we talk about it. if you rem- you recall you know drinking a Kool Aid when Jim Jones took the people over there in South Africa. You get uh, in uh, Guyana, yes. Yeah. Gianni and, uh, killed them all. Yeah, they all drank the Kool Aid. Well, it was they either drink the Kool Aid or they were going to be shot one or the one way or the other. Because yeah. hell, he killed a congressman that came down there. You remember that? Yes, sir. So let me ask you this. When you were talking about turkeys and hams uh, and you've, you've worked in the federal government, has this attitude been present since the turn of the century that the giving has vanished from D.C.? Well, I'm, as you know, I first mentioned I'm here in Georgia now. Right. Um, but I have, I still go up from time to time, and I read the the news all the time. I, I, I read it all the time. I'm I'm constantly reading online. Um, okay. Reading, you know, on newspapers. Um, it's it's not there. It's it's not there anymore. Okay, well, I've got another topic to move on to, but uh, Tyrone, I really appreciate you calling in, and we can revisit this back on, let's see, my next show will be January 9th at the same time, and we can talk about the Georgia election. Oh, absolutely. All right, I appreciate you calling in, and you, you get better. I wish you well in your fight with this nasty disease. And uh, wish you a very happy new year. And I will talk to you on January 9th. Same to you and all your listeners. All righty. Thank you, Tyrone. Thank you. That was an enjoyable conversation. And I'm, I don't care which side of the political spectrum you're on. But a good debate is what it's all about without losing our minds. Because where I live, I have Democratic friends, white, black, Hispanic, you you just go down the road. And we can discuss these in a civil way and then think about what was discussed instead of my side's right and your side's wrong. Because when I see those discussions coming up, especially on Facebook, it's time to just bug out and 
find something more productive to do. Okay, the last thing, I've got one topic. I'll have to do it next show. It's called Convenient Truths. And that might have more relevance in two weeks. But the last one is I want to talk about evangelism. And do these names ring a bell? Earl Roberts, Robert Schuller, Jimmy Swigert, Billy Graham. That should. Jim and Tammy Baker. Boy, weren't they a pair. And then you have Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen. Well, Joel Osteen's under fire once again. Shocking. Because his church, Lakewood, which, as I understand, is the largest, quote, mega church in the United States, received $4.4 million of PPE funding. Okay. And that's got everyone's panties in a wad. Yeah, well, what nobody wants to talk about, if you do remember the stories, Harvard and Columbia got money. And I think Harvard returned theirs. And Columbia was on the fence, but I think they did. But did you also know that over 5,000 colleges got PPP money? Did you ever hear that on the news? I sure the hell didn't until I looked it up the other day. (coughs) And you name the university and they're on the list. And the amounts of money they received are all over the board. That 4.4 Joel got was nothing compared to what some of these other colleges received. But he's under attack. He was also under attack. Remember Hurricane Harvey? And those two guys that were walking around say, why don't you open your doors? Why don't you open your doors? Well, let's see. Houston's flooded. Kind of like Katrina in the Super Bowl. Let's all remember the Super Bowl. What a disaster that was. You can't get in. You can't get supplies in. And now you're supposed to open up this arena that is not equipped to handle survivors and evacuees. You can't feed them. You can't clothe them. You can't bed them. You can't get a medicine. But let's just open up the doors. Now, eventually they did, but you just don't do this without security, which we saw the Superdome didn't have, and everything else. And the one thing that really got me is the mem that's floating around is, well, he lives in a, what is it, 17,000 square foot home. And then there's another one for Joyce Meyer. But before them, it was Robert Schuller and his hour of power in his glass cathedral in California. Well, he was under attack because of all the money. Anybody really know Joel's background? Have you really looked up a story? I watch him and I'm not ashamed to say it. I watch him every day because I like his message of victory. If you don't like that, you don't have to watch it and no one's telling you to do it. Joel's dad started the church in an abandoned feed shack. And I think it was Northwest Houston. It wasn't a good neighborhood. An abandoned feed shack because the church he worked for fired him when he came back from a seminar and started preaching this 
new vision of victory and not hell, brim, and firestone. They didn't know what to do with that. So his dad starts this church because he's fired. He doesn't have any income now. And he gets 90 people for decades. And it just goes on. 90 people are what he and his wife are relying on to help them make a living and preach the word. But it took decades for it to start growing. And then they got a new building. And they got another new building. And then the compact center came up. Joel worked behind the scenes. He was in the broadcasting and the media portion of the business. Yes, it is a business. He went to ORU for one year. That's Oral Roberts University. But unlike some of these other people that I mentioned, except for Robert Schuler, I mean, I grew up in Tulsa, so I know Oral Roberts, and he saw his 900-foot Jesus Christ when he was trying to build his hospital that turned into a disaster. But they were shills. I mean, Oral, Jim and Tammy, Billy Graham was great. Jimmy Swaggart, no use for them. Hagee, who's on, he's been saying the same thing for 50 years about revelations and the second coming. But Joel goes to ORU. His mom is diagnosed with terminal cancer. Doctors send her home to die. Joel comes back from school to help take care of his mom and help his dad with the ministry. But he wants to work behind the scenes. His father kept trying to get him to give a sermon. And he didn't want to do it. That wasn't his thing. He didn't go to seminary. He wasn't a theologian. He was just another kid whose dad was a minister. His dad finally talked him into it. He finally said, okay, I will do one message. He did the sermon and his dad died a week later. Now the family has a choice. Do we shut down the church or do we continue on? They didn't have an associate minister. Now they've got the compact center. They were able to get that deal. So Joel started, decided, okay, I'm all in. It's either going to make it or it's going to fail. So where does Joel make all of his money? He makes it off his book sales. Look at how many top best sellers he has on the New York Times. That's where he makes his money. The church has set aside $200,000 for a salary, and he doesn't draw that. Have they been successful? Yes. But so were Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and David. These people came from humble beginnings. Some of them were dead broke. I mean, if you look at Job, he was a very successful man. Then God gave him to the devil took away all of his wealth, his family, everything, and just made him impoverished. But he never gave up his faith. And how was he rewarded? Fourfold of what he had before. So he was a very wealthy man again and a very successful man. Abraham was just the father of nations. King David, do we really need to go into all of his accomplishments? <clears throat> These men especially in the Old Testament, when they followed 
the word and did what they were instructed to do, they came out on the top of the hill. And that's what I see Joel Osteen has done. His parents were poor. He didn't grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. But his father kept following the path that was laid out to him and never gave up. Yes, they have a 17,000 square foot house. But when I see him on TV, he's not wearing a $5,000 or $6,000 suit that I see these morons, these sports analysts, analysts wearing. They're gaudy, and they're just ridiculous. And every time I see them, I just I almost can't watch professional sports because, oh, well, how much did that suit cost today? I've seen other ministers. We saw it with Jim and Tammy. And then there was this couple that used to be on TBN that you could tell they bought, they are wearing the most expensive clothes on the market. I don't see that with Joel and Victoria. I see two people preaching the word and living that life to the best of their ability. Now you tell me what's wrong with that. Are they successful? Yes. Do they flaunt their wealth? From what I've can seen, no. But when you make that much money, folks, you got to spend it. Should he give all of his money away? Well, until I see Washington, D.C. do that, which I'm not holding my breath. Aren't they supposed to be the leaders? Well, that's my take on it. But all because they got 4.4 million, which it is a business, and they have 368 employees, they were eligible. They filed for it. Well, you know something? There were 5,000 other colleges that applied for it and received it. And I did that. I have that on my LDDJ Enterprises site. You go to the blog, and I put the links there, and you can look up how many colleges received that money. Now, if you like what you've heard, and I hope you did, and you're a reader, especially when it comes to, say, political science fiction, government conspiracy theories, I highly recommend Gateway Pioch, Destination DC, and Target Berlin, because it's all modern day stories that, in some senses, you can actually relate to the current political situation going on. Well, I've enjoyed our time today, and I wish everyone out there a very happy new year, and we will see you again in 2021 on January 9th at 2 o'clock Central Time. Have a very happy new year, and we will talk to you then. Thank <laughs> you.
I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. <coughs> if you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com. Websites, LDDJ Enterprises and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJ Enterprises at gmail.com or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com. Websites, LDDJ Enterprises and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJ Enterprises at gmail.com or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain. <laughs>